You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. We've been really busy. We've been doing a bunch of solo episodes. It feels like it's been a long time since we had our regular <laughs> recording uh, schedule. We'll certainly have to yeah. figure it out in the new year. What's our uh, recording schedule? Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel that too. Like, I feel like I did three solo episodes consecutively Consecutively last week. You did one. And uh, I feel like it's been five weeks since we actually discussed Loki, but I could be wrong. No, it's been something like that. The time kind of got away from me and that uh, I have one more solo episode in mind, pretty much written already. And uh, that, oh, maybe we should mention, I mentioned in my solo episode, but yeah, for the fireside chat, pretty sure it'll be early January. We really want to make sure we got a, a shipping confirmation date on our our Viking drinking horns that are uh, being made by horns of Odin. And we'll, once we get pictures, we'll put it up and we'll help promote their uh, store. But Yeah. No, it's funny. Cause I feel like you're just putting me out there and just like, uh, I'll be on camera and I'm not going to know what to do, but hopefully our fans enjoy that anyway. So we'll see what happens. Oh yeah. Well, I think at least if we get a few minutes of you in front of a fireside, even if you have to come inside, I've been trying to start a fire here lately. It's been actually kind of windy. So I don't, I don't start a fire when it's too windy in New Mexico, but, uh, yeah. And I know I told you this part of me wants to like uh, write a couple poems where it's like Norse influenced and I can just like oh, yeah. do my stupid voices like for o- like a uh, Loki and Odin and it's like, we'll uh, see what happens. Um, people may hate it, but like worst case scenario, if anybody comes, we can just like it, we can like ask them questions about like why they like our podcast. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get like approval from them to like make that a podcast episode in itself. And I think it's something new we'll see if it works out but i i like i i uh i'm intrigued by the idea if that makes sense yeah no, I, I like that idea of doing it a, a couple times a season where we can uh have people join by video and they can at least watch us and i figure like the first half hour at least we'll record an episode the two of us talking about whatever and then uh and then we'll have the people talking after yeah yeah and, no definitely but i mean like it's it's uh funny because like spotify uh just told us like that we uh like of the spotify podcast like there's 147 people that um prefer our podcast more than any other podcast out there. And I'm very tickled by that because I know we have like a decent amount of like subscribers on Spotify and subscribers on Apple, but that can mean many things, right? Like I I subscribe to many podcasts and like, I probably listen to like one out of every uh, five or six episodes, but to see that like people actually care about what we have to say when I personally think I'm an idiot is pretty, pretty cool to me. So I don't know. I think that all the feedback I hear from people is that it's fun, our uh, our banter and going back and forth and taking the first five minutes talking about nonsense. I think it works. And when I listen back to our early episodes, I'm like, is this a good idea? Do people like this? Or they can hit skip. I, you hit skip on the 30 minute button a couple of times and you can jump right over. Yeah. No, I, I listened to uh, one of our early episodes uh, a couple of days ago and I was like, man, we fucking suck. <laughs> and, th- and that's why yeah, I, it's tough because our podcast is a journey, right? To understand what we're talking about, you kind of have to start from the beginning and it's a little rough there at some of the beginning episodes. So I don't know how to deal with that other than, uh, yeah, I think people can deal with that. Just keep chugging along. That's what we do. <laughs> Between two Ravens, Yes. Yeah. But I have no interest in re-recording them. I want to make new episodes. So yeah, I don't have time. Yeah, definitely. So uh, real quick, I, um, I, I was in a secret Santa at work and <laughs> yes. Like somebody, I don't know who it is yet, but they, they got me a book that I, I put on my wish list. It's the inheritance of Rome. Oh, and yeah. I think that's very cool. It's like a huge book. And again, like I know I mentioned this many times on the podcast, like I, I'm a huge fan of a Western European uh, dark age history yeah. and, or like nor even Northern European like dark age history. And this deals with the, which deals with the aftermath of the fall of the Western Roman empire um so i'm definitely intrigued i might get into that and like i'm hoping that i can do like a uh solo episode or like three i'd say in the next six months like where i like discuss something cool that i found if that makes sense but is when it says what we inherited from the roman empire is that us as modern people or is it talking about the whole kind of history of europe i believe it's um more so just like the history of europe um i could be wrong but like i do know that it discusses like the different areas of western europe after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. And I, I've briefly discussed it. Like, I know I did an episode on Viking Age England. I uh, did an episode on the historical Sons of Odin, which details what is supposedly time in the Brit- in like the British Isles right after the fall of the Roman Empire. But it details like the different parts of Europe 
right after that time period, which is what I find fascinating about Europe. I love dark age history. So yeah, uh, my mind goes to is that the, the founders of uh, the United States, you know, the writers of the declaration of independence were really influenced by the Romans. It's actually yeah. an interesting thing that I probably a book out there. I should be reading on it, but I, yeah. Oh, I'm I, sure there's a, a bunch of, going on. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to DC uh, last uh, Saturday and it's like on the way there in the Uber, there's like so many statues of like, a, maybe it's not a Griffin or something like that, but there's so many statues that you feel like are influenced by, you know, like, um, in, like ancient Rome or ancient Greece or something yeah. like that. It's, it's kind of cool to think about like why they decided to put that there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But anyways, Sean probably should jump into it. What are we, what are we talking about today? Yes. So, uh, thus far in our series on Loki, the god Loki has gotten into some shit and has been a consistent thorn in the side of the Aesir. Loki's antics started with some almost harmless pranks, like one, cutting off Sif's hair, which resulted in the Aesir threatening to beat him up unless he fixed the problem. The result was Sif um, having golden hair and the gods ending up with divine gifts, such as Thor's hammer, Yonir, which was created by the dwarves. Another one is tricking Edun into being kidnapped by the giant Thiazi, which resulted in the gods losing the apples that kept them youthful. And then uh, the, the Aesir threatened to beat Loki up again, unless he fixed the problem, which he did. This resulted in the death of Thiazi, a giant, and required Loki to nearly sacrifice his balls in the process to make his daughter Skadi happy after losing her father. That is so, the, the giant's daughter. It's not not, not Loki's daughter. Yes. Yeah, so Thiazi's daughter had to be, uh, I guess, um, compensated for the death of her father, and Loki's balls were nearly sacrificed the only, in the process. The only, way he knew, the only way he knew how to make her laugh was to tie a goat to his balls, and, uh, and there you go. Yes, exactly. But that's got to be tra- like more traumatizing for Loki almost than uh, anybody else. So another thing, making a deal with the Jotun who builds walls that almost resulted in Freya needing to be married off against her will. The gods then again threat- threatened to beat Loki up unless he fixed the problem. And the result of this was that the Aesir got the walls of Asgard and Loki got impregnated with Sleipnir who ended up being Odin's horse. So Odin got his horse in this process. So you see a pattern here of Loki making some mistakes and playing some pranks, only for him to be threatened by the gods to fix the problem. What works out for the gods is that they always seem to benefit from the results. Loki, the cause of but solution to all the Aesir's problems. And I know we've said that many times, David. Yeah. That, However, uh, yeah, good. Well, it- it's interesting, right? Because whenever I hear people talking about Loki, they're always talking about what a bad guy he is. But when we really, especially the way we've went through the myths, and maybe it starts because we went through the first part to see how much really Odin's kind of a bad guy. And all these gods are kind of awful, right? So it's like, by contrast, he's not that much worse. And then that he usually actually is trying to fix something, right? That, that idea of him, you know, trying to that he's correcting something that's wrong in fate, right? That, you know, Odin or somebody's trying to circumvent fate that Loki brings it back on track is then makes you wonder with his pranks, right? Is he just this harmful prankster or is there always a meaning or purpose to those? Um, I would never have gotten that until we spent all this time going through each of Loki's stories. Right. But, yeah. And I know you, you talk about all the time, how like Loki is an agent of fate, yeah. but at the same time, you you almost like wonder if like Loki has like some motive of just trying to fit in with the Aesir and like he picks on them because he admires them and like with the story of uh, Sif's hair. I know you made a you made a joke about how like he he shaves off Sif's head, who's Thor's wife, and you made a joke about well how do you get so close to Sif? Yeah, maybe he slept with her at nighttime, which is something that all of the Aesir do. They sleep around clearly, and then he like makes a comment on that in Lokasena, and it's like maybe like. Thor's pissed off about that, but like you'll see, like Loki is in a weird way, maybe trying to fit in, but like for some reason the Aesir just like get so pissed off at him, um, and they take it out on him because maybe he know they know that he uh, and his offspring are going to bring on Ragnarok, if that makes sense. But yeah, and then also that he's the scapegoat, and and as we kind of told the story, right? That well, given some of the things they did to Loki, this actually just built up and built up his hatred of them, right? So when he is going to get revenge on them. It's not exactly that they uh, they earned it, but to some extent, maybe they did. So yeah, 
when they 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 try to they try so hard to stop their fate by stopping Loki and his children that they sort of enable the fate that they're so scared of, afraid of. Right, I think so, and, and that's uh, really fits my understanding of fate as well. That that's that's how it works. Yeah, yeah definitely. So anyway, the Aesir clearly do not like Loki, but they seem to tolerate him. You know, maybe because he is Odin's blood brother. So at this point, Loki ends up giving birth to three other children with, I think it's the giantess or the being Angerboda. The gods know that these children will not, well, excuse me, the gods know that these children will bring on Ragnarok and lead to their own deaths. So the Aesir take action and chain up Fenrir the wolf, one of Loki's kids, and they banish the other two children, Jormungandr, into the sea, and then they banish his daughter, Hel, to Niflheim from Asgard. On Loki's end, he seems to have had it with being friends by the Aesir and having his children taken from him. So then his antics become a tad more sinister. So Loki orchestrates the death of the pride of the Aesir, Baldr, the beloved son of Odin and Frigg. He also then prevents the Aesir's attempt to get Baldr back from Niflheim. Then one day, he decides to crash a party thrown by Aegir and drunkenly insults all of the gods in the process, as we discussed in our many episodes on Locusena from the Poetic Edda. The Aesir at this point are forced to action, which we discuss in this episode. And that's also where he then reveals to Frigg, it seems, that he's the one who killed Baldur, right? It was yeah. a trick where nobody knew why Had right, uh, fired yeah. the mistletoe spear uh, into Baldur, but then uh, Loki reveals it to everybody. Although they also keep mentioning how Frigg and all the other goddesses know the future and know the fates of all men. So why they didn't know that must be that Loki is somehow more powerful than that, right? It's very uh, interesting. Yeah, or they did know it, but like Loki was drunkenly crashing this party and he kind of reminded them, which probably pissed him off even more. What's that? Yeah, shoving it in their face, right? Yeah, which he he was probably doing to everybody. He was like drunk. He was insulting all of the gods including Thor, but Thor was the one that eventually convinced him to like step down by threatening him again. But it was a interesting poem. And I'm glad we did a few episodes on that. And I'm glad that we did our 50th episode special with our friends on Locusena. But and that, I, and that I've listened to it so many times with both re- recording it myself and then getting all our friends to record pieces. I'll never forget some of the lines uh, from that. And there, there'll be things where I'm reading this now, you know, and uh, between that, uh, Frigg knows the fates of all. And uh, yeah, there is one that I'm missing now, but <laughs> it's all good. Earlier. It'll come to me as we read through this. Cause yeah, it popped up as we're reading this. So, and I wanted to make a quick note. So the story that we're going to be discussing today involves the capture and torture of Loki. So this is going to be chapter 50 of Gilfoganine. This story serves as like a sequel of chapter 49 of Gilfoganine from the Proceta, because in chapter 49, of the Proceta, it deals with the death of Baldur. And in the Proceta, the gods go after Loki because the pride of the Aesir Baldur was killed. However, there's a separate poem, and we just discussed it, Locusena in the Poetic Edda, where at the end of Locusena, where Loki, where Loki insults the gods and eventually gets thrown out by Thor, the end of that story says that the Aesir go after Loki and punish him. And they, they capture him and they punish him in the same manner that's going to be discussed in Gilfoganine chapter 50, which we discussed today. So it's funny because in both versions of these Norse myths, it ends the same way. Loki gets captured in torture, but in the prose edit, it's because he killed Baldur. In the poetic edit, it's because he insulted all of them and killed Baldur at a party. I think it goes to that. Why, why is it so meaningful, right, that he emphasized uh, revealing that he killed Baldur, right? And then, the, then the two stories perfectly match. And it's also that while he's busy, drunk, and insulting them, they can't harm him because he's a guest, right? That's the Havamal virtues. And But then he leaves, and they're like, okay, we'll give him a 15-minute head start, and now we're going to track him down. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so I, 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 the, Norse, uh, the Norse virtue ethics, yeah. I do. I, w- I want to say there's there's got to be a deleted scene out there, like in some uh, stone tablet or something that deal <laughs> that says, oh, then the gods gave Loki 15 minutes to run, and then they went after him. But That's maybe not. I'm, I'm busy carving it and trying to uh, get it slipped into some museum. Yes, there you go. So anyway, moving on to our source, and I I know I mentioned the Poetic Edda, 
So at the end of Locusena, which we had three episodes on, there's like a prose ending where it discusses like how the, and I just mentioned this, the gods are so pissed off at Loki that they went after him and they tortured him by having his, by having like a piece of, like a snake's venom drip on his face and his daughter, like his uh, wife's Segan had to like hold a bowl above his head to prevent the venom from getting him. It was like a very quick paragraph. So that's kind of like what we're discussing a longer story in Gofagnin from the Prosetta. So Gilfagadine chapter 50. King Gliri, again, this is King Gilfi who's having a conversation with High, just as High and Third, the aspects of Odin. King Gliri mentions that Loki's successful efforts to kill Baldur then keep him in hell. And then he asks if, if he asks if there was any vengeance taken for this. So High responded. That after pissing the gods off, Loki ran away and hid on a mountain and built a house with four doors, which allowed him to look out of the house in all directions and see the gods and see whether or not the gods were on their way to beat him up or kill him or worse. And when they say to beat him up, it's usually either that they'll break every bone in his body or they'll decapitate him or I mean, there's one where they sew his mouth shut. I'm trying to think what else they threaten him with, but. Yeah, no. And I, I just always sum that up by saying, oh, yeah, the gods always let him beat him up or worse. Often, often um, not, they're not quite going to kill him, but then sometimes, well, that was the challenge. You, you can take my head, but you can't touch my neck and uh, all of that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but like he's looking at these uh, four uh, doors or four windows to see if like the gods are after him. Yeah. So during the daytime, he would often change himself into a salmon and would hide in a place called Franang's Falls, which was a waterfall. There he meditated and thought about how the Aesir would proceed with trying to catch him. While in this house, he used linen yarn to create a net. Apparently, this was the first net of its kind in history. It turns out it was going to be a fish net. This or a is net a really interesting. Fish. It's a really yeah. interesting part where Loki is his own worst enemy, right? Because as much as he tricks everybody else, that he's like, "How are they going to catch me? Let me—I'm the you know trickiest, wisest being in existence. Let me come up with all the ways they're going to catch me." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so he builds this net. Um, which we found out, as I mentioned, is a fishnet. And then one day he had a fire burning in the house in front of him, and he noticed that the Aesir were coming. So they were approaching. Odin was able to discover his whereabouts while seated on his throne. Oh, fuck. Hlidschlaf. Did I say it right this time, David? Hlidschlaf. Hlidschlaf, yeah. We mentioned it multiple times. Frey sat in it once, uh, Odin did. But anyway... Odin's throne, he's able to see across the cosmos with it. So he knew where Loki was because of that. Loki saw them coming. Loki then throws the net onto the fire and bolts it out of there. So the Aesir arrived at the house, and this gets very interesting. The Aesir arrived at the house, and Kvasir, the wisest of all, entered the house. He looked into the fire and saw the net Loki created and understood it could be used to catch fish. So, David, this is very interesting because Kavassier was the being that we discussed on probably our fourth or fifth episode in this podcast when we discussed the meat of poetry, where after the Aesir-Vanir war, the Aesir and the Vanir spit into this vat and a creature was created and his name was Kavassier. And there's there's one version where he just came with Njord and Freyr, right? That he yeah. was traveled in the dream. But the other one was they arrived and then, hey, everybody, let's spit in a bucket to show how much we care about each other or something. And then uh, magically that uh, wonderful brew turned into Kvasir. Yeah. Yes. And then at the end of that story, or like actually in the middle of that story with Mita Poetry, Kvasir gets tricked by these two dwarves and get, gets killed. And with his blood, the dwarves make the Mita Poetry. Yeah. Which then Odin goes after because he wants to learn the uh, he wants to learn the poetic means of speaking poems, yeah. or like he wants to be able to he wants he he drinks it because he wants to understand how to speak poems. So what this means is Kavasir should be dead if you consider the fact that we're right before Ragnarok right now in Gilfagani in chapter fifty, but the Aesir Vanir War is something that can be looked at at the beginning of the Norse timeline. And Kavasir died at that point. It almost makes it feel like David that my idea of the Norse timeline is um, full of shit. The, the question would be, 
you know, that when did Odin learn to speak poetry, right? Did it necessarily happen back then? Or maybe it was that Kvasir didn't die until right now. So it seems like the, yeah, the Aesir Vanir war had to happen earlier. We've had all these things. He's insulting Frey and Yord, right? But then they don't say exactly when he died, right? In the story. I don't know if they're saying exactly. It has to happen a few uh, weeks later, or they're just saying eventually that happens. And then my other theory for why that both of them can be true at the same time when it's just that mythological time frame, it's like a dream. It doesn't have to make sense. Yeah. But the other way is actually that because Odin drank the meat of poetry made out of Kavasir's blood, that Odin has voices in his head, and one of them is Kavasir that talks <laughs> to him. And I think that's very true. So, <laughs> Again, welcome to Between Two Ravens, where everybody is a shadow of somebody else, or yeah. somebody's imagining shit, and uh, everybody is Loki or Odin, right? Yeah. Yes. But no, it's it's very interesting to your point about like and because th- there's clearly no timeline. Like I feel like these stories were written by like multiple authors based on something that may have been, um, you know, thought of as facts hundred years prior. Yeah. So like if you have a story like this where Loki gets captured and it's like, you know, we'll see Loki becomes a frit a fish, you have a character named Kavasir who you know is smart because he's made from the spit of the Aesir and the Banner gods and his blood is eventually used to make the meat of poetry. Like you have to understand that this being is a very smart thing. So it's like, Oh, well I'm going to write this story. I'm going to write this story about Loki being captured. And there's this smart being that understands what Loki was trying to do with his net. And it was Kavasir because Mimir's head cut off and Mimir could not have traveled that much far farther than anybody else and like things like that. So I kind of think it like, it's almost just like the timeline is bullshit, but it's just kind of interesting that Kavasir was included in this because if you look at like Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology, yeah. it includes a story where Kavasir dies and then later Kavasir is there. Yeah. That, that I think you've created one of the best timelines that I've seen. And I ho- hopefully, hopefully the world will give you credit for that one day, right? That you've really created Me? a good time. Yeah. That, that it's a pretty coherent timeline and it really tells a story as we've put together this podcast. And I give Sean all credit. He organizes what episode we do what week that because I read other places where I read some of the stories, you know, on a website and they'll give the stories like they're completely unrelated, but I'm like, no, the way Sean tells the story, these stories are related and they go in an order except once in a while they're inconsistent. <laughs> and that's, you know, my Norse mythology timeline. It's probably similar to what Neil Gaiman does, but he kind of uh, condenses rather than trying to sit with all the ambiguity. Yeah, well, thank you, David. But fuck Vasier for this. Um, it's his but fault. Also, I like that Odin has Mimir's head on one side, and he's like, Mimir, what do you think? And then he's got Kavasir talking in his other ear. What do you think, Kavasir? And he's yeah, got multiple personalities. But yeah, maybe you're right. It's in it's in Odin's head, or like it's the shadow of Odin. Because as we know, Odin's present. He knew where Loki was. So, so we'll see what happens. And if it's those times, right, where Odin's talking and it's a poem, and then he's like, "What is this I'm seeing?" And things are happening, and it's like, Odin, you're having a hallucination in your head, man. You are not in touch with reality and that's yeah like with Baldur's drummer i think you mentioned that he uh, might be hallucinating shit so right that's what that's what the magician the shaman would do so i don't uh, see a problem at all with mimir or kavasir showing up as a uh, hallucination here right now yeah, yeah definitely uh so anyway Kavas- they walk in and kavasir told the aesir that they should all get to work to create a net for themselves the aesir made this net and then they cast it into the waterfall. Thor held one end, and the rest held the other. So the rest of the Aesir, that shows how strong Thor is, obviously. The Aesir dragged the net in the hopes of catching Loki the salmon. However, as the Aesir dragged the net, Loki was able to swim in front of them and dived deep below the bo- two boulders, the boulders seemed to have prevented the net from going low enough at that point to where Loki was hiding and they couldn't catch him. So I want to say, and David, I actually did not understand this at first. I want to say that they are above the waterfall. So they're at the river that is going into the waterfall. And I think at this, yeah, go ahead. I wasn't sure if he's jumping up a waterfall or if he's jumping down a waterfall. Um, I, yeah. And it's funny because like, you could be right, but I, I like thought about this and, the way the story is written, I feel like they are above the waterfall because yeah. like Loki is going close to the waterfall where he would fall, but then away from it. And they're, he's like trying to get away from this net from the Aesir. Yeah. That probably um, makes a lot of sense. But also when the waterfall comes down, it always creates kind of a deep lake there. So that's a place he could hide. So 
Uh, yeah, I did not definitely. Think about, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, but uh, no, I can't so, figure out the physics of it. Yeah. No, it's all right. I'm sure somebody, uh, hopefully somebody's listening can come onto Twitter or Instagram and correct, about, correct us, but we'll see. So anyway, the next time the ACR tried with the net, they, so my understanding is that they went back to try to get him. The next time the ACR tried with the net, Loki was able to jump over it and swam back close to the falls. So my guess is the first time they were going towards the fall, you know, where the the water was dropping, he swam under it. And then when they came back, he jumped over it um, where he was coming, coming closer to the waterfall. So the Aesir pursued him. And then at this point, Thor waded into the middle of the river and they approached Loki again. And I made a joke here, David, about Thor is once again in the water. Like he always is. That you mentioned that because it didn't really stand out to me at first. But so one is, you know, why is Loki hiding as a salmon? And there's a few, you know, um, archetypes and mythological reasons why why a salmon. But also that he's especially afraid of Thor, right? And Thor doesn't want to go in the water. We know that about Thor already. So what better place to hide than to be a salmon hiding in the water? And Thor doesn't want to come in. Yet Thor has grown and he's no longer afraid of uh, getting wet and going in the water. So. Yeah. And I know like when we discussed Harbrod's lot, he uh, didn't want to go over the water. Odin was on the other end and he like insulted him. Then in the story, I think we uh, discussed of Gareth's court. Thor tried to pass the water. And I want to say the giant, the giant Tesses may have been trying to flirt with Thor, but they tried to block his passage over the, over the river by pissing in it or something. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah. <laughs> we've been doing this podcast images. too long. That was one of the images for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so like he he always has this like, issue with water, and I think he's like got to travel over water, like um, over Bifrost or something every day to like get to the council at Asgard. So there's always something with Thor and like traveling over water. But anyway, so moving on, Thor is like there trying to get Loki, and I know we uh, Loki and Thor had some moments like in the story of Utgard Loki where they were companions, right? And uh, like I'm just like wondering, going back to like the moments where Thor should be pissed off at Loki. One of them is his wife Sif's hair got cut off, and then in Lokasena, Loki insults Sif and Thor, but he also claims that Sif is uh, guilty of infidelity to Thor. Yeah. So and like, maybe, I, and then maybe yeah. uh, Loki did sleep with Sif, right? That's also a possibility, and then. The other one is also depending whether you think Harbard uh, might be Odin or might be uh, Loki, then that'll uh, raise another question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be, it, it sounds like a Loki thing, but I think it's definitely Odin. But so at this point, Loki was hiding close to the sea. And again, I think this sea means like close to the waterfall where he's about to fall. As the Aesir approached, he realized that he could either jump into the falls, which is obviously dangerous. Or he could try to clear the net again and jump over it, which he ended up choosing the latter. So he ended up deciding to jump into the waterfall. So he tried to jump the net again. When he tried to jump the net again, Thor was able to grab him briefly before Loki slipped through his hands. However, Thor was able to still catch Loki by his tail. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why salmon are narrower at the tail towards the rear because of Thor. Yeah, he squeezed the salmon so hard that all succeeding generations of salmon have narrow tails. And uh, it's one of those things a lot of myths do. We don't we don't see it too much in the Norse mythology, right? Where it's like, that's why the sun rises and sets. That's why uh, well, later we get to, that's why there are earthquakes, right? Things like that. Yeah, it's it's like the randomest things like this. Oh, this is why salmons have narrow tails. Or this is why there's fishnets, uh, again, yeah. which we'll see here in a second. Yeah, can you just so, imagine one of the uh, poetic kennings being like the... Uh, the Thor's grip. And it's what, are you, what is he talking about? Oh, he's talking about a salmon tail, the Thor's grip. <laughs> yeah. It's like Sean. Yeah. Or Sean's overcooked uh, fish meal. Oh, that's a salmon. It's also Thor's uh, grip. But anyway, that was a bad joke. Sorry, everybody. Um, so anyway, the Aesir slash Thor capture Loki. They take him to a cave. They also took three flat stones and cut holes in them. They caught Loki's sons, Vali and Narfi, slash Nari, and they changed Vali into a wolf. Vali then ripped up his brother, Narfi. Then the Aesir took Narfi's guts and used them to bind Loki up on top of the three stones. 
One was put under his shoulders. One was under his loins. Ouch. One was under his knees. So at this point, when Loki is minded up, Skadi enters the party and then fastens a poisonous snake above Loki so that its poison would drop onto Loki's face. With the three stones and how he's bound, it reminds me of as we're talking about the binding of Fenrir and we have to go into all of, right? I was like, and one of these strings is called the, a river in Sweden and one of these is a rock yeah. called this, which means this and you know, the striker and the other, you know, the, the, the stone striker and something like that. But I wonder if there's a parallel there, right? That Loki has, I mean, Loki has sons who are wolves, but now Loki himself is being bound and they turn the sun into the wolf. It's always the question to me, are these meant to be different stories or it's kind of like almost the same story that split off in three different ways? Yeah. Or as they tried to make sense of them, they were combining a bunch of different stories, right? It's a very interesting thought. And that was the other one that stuck in my mind from uh, our uh, Locusena rendition, the uh, you'll be bound in your son's ice cold guts, right? And as I see that, I'm like, ah, there we go. That's a line from Locusena. If we look back at the story with Fenrir, Loki's son, they binded him up. And I'm wondering if like, they had Loki at this point. I wonder if the Aesir just like said, you know what, we're going to take one of your other sons and we're going to turn him into a wolf. So he just like for good measure to like say, fuck you type of thing. Yeah. It's hard for me to see if there's any other meaning to it, but I think especially that part, like that Loki has to suffer what everybody else suffers, right? That he's the, the father of the wolf. They use that against him, right? It's, it's kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. Like very a poetic, uh, way to torment him, something like that. Yeah, definitely. And so here, like, Skadi comes in, and she's like, she's one of many gods and goddesses that have a uh, reason to be upset at Loki, right? But for some reason, she's the one that gets to, like, fasten this snake above his head. Very briefly, to review why Skadi could be pissed off at Loki, he schemed with Yazi, the giants, to kidnap Idun for her apples. The Aesir were pissed off and they said, Loki, you need to get our apples back because we want to be youthful forever. Loki only agreed to this deal with Yazi because Yazi threatened him. Um, and this whole like agreement with Yazi eventually ended up in Yazi's death. Skadi is Yazi's daughter. So to make amends for what the Aesir did to Yazi, like they had to make uh, Skadi laugh and they had to give him a husband, give her a husband, excuse me. She could only choose her husband by looking at the potential groom to be his feet. And she thought she would choose the being with the most prettiest feet, which she thought was Boulder. Turns out it was Njord. They had an unhappy marriage. And then Loki eventually kills Boulder. He orchestrates Boulder's death. So Skadi could also be pissed off at him for that reason. She loved Boulder. She wanted to be with Boulder. And Loki, after being a part in her father's death, prevented her from happiness with her husband. The Locus Center really is he, you know, reminding me of it, right? Really pointed out how much, how she was mad at him, right? And that he is rubbing it in her face, you know, while I was there when they killed your father, right? But that also, you know, yeah, Thiazi threatened him, but did Loki come up with a plan that would make sure Thiazi would get his, you know, his end, his uh, death in the end, right? That really Loki sets everyone up to to fall, to to die. So even if he's got a good reason for it, right, that... And that goes to, right that she really has something against him. It was your your friend did such a wonderful job renditioning the voice of Skadi being so hateful with Loki, and then she's finding this creative way to torture him. Right, and snake poison dripping in his face over and over. It's really like some of these Greek myths of what happens in the underworld of uh, tormenting people. A raven constantly comes and eats your liver. You know things like yeah. that, or a vulture. But you know anybody who listens to the show knows I'm obsessed with the uh, phallus images and that. <laughs> That Loki and his right, Loki and Scott the, What does the and, skate? What does the snake mean, David? Tell us. It's, it's a phallus. It's, right? it's a big long. Yeah. It's a big long snake, right? So, <laughs> but then also that with Loki and Scadthi, that's where he ties a goat around his balls. It's sort of a pseudo castration. He doesn't actually have to lose his balls, but he is willing to sacrifice them to the goddess. And then also remember that the snake is in the Garden of Eden. Something about a source of wisdom, but also it's this thing, right, with tempting Eve. But then between Eve and the snake, then man uh, sins and eats the apple and gains consciousness that these images are showing up here. Right. And it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to torture Loki. Right. But this is one of them to kind of connect my thinking. I forgot to mention too, that with the Loki in the water and Thor having to get in the water is the water often represents the unconscious, right? You're going deeper and deeper. It's more and more unconscious. So there's something about unconsciousness, consciousness here as we're uh, torturing and killing Loki. So 
Yeah. And the other part that the Skadvi is the archetype of the female warrior. So just as Thor is the masculine warrior, Skadvi is the female warrior. The idea that it's not just a woman who's a warrior is trying to be a man, trying to be a warrior. It's no, what is, what does the female warrior look like, right? It's a, uh, you know, Amazon warriors, wonder woman, who's a, a Greek goddess herself, things like that is what Skadvi represents. So we uh, discussed this in our previous episode on her. She's like a hunter, right? Or a huntress. Right. Yep. Um, she's like a skier. So she's very athletic and outgoing and outdoorsy. And she knows what she wants, right? She uh, wanted to marry Boulder. And she had to, she had to settle for this uh, marriage against like with Njord, who as Njord had uh, two kids, Frey and Freyer, it was probably somebody that was older than her. Yeah. And she was pissed off by that. And like, now she's getting her revenge on Loki. And then that he's a very feminine man, right? So that idea of, you know, for the female warrior, is she going to be happy with another man who's a warrior? Is she going to be happy with a man who's submissive or does that not work? And it's the idea that the extreme archetype of the female warrior is, you know, she's not the mother. She's not the wife. She's not all these other pieces. She's just the warrior. And then that's maybe lonely, but yeah, it's also, uh, Artemis, it's Apollo's sister in the Greek pantheon. The more you know. Nice. So anyway, Skadi put the snake over Loki's face, and the venom dripped onto his face consistently until the end of the time. So Segan, Loki's wife, who I know we mentioned previously in previous episodes, David, placed herself beside him and held a bowl above him to catch the venom, so above his face to catch the venom, sparing him the pain temporarily. Because when the bowl fills, she needs to empty it, which means she needs to remove the bowl from above Loki's face. This causes the poison to temporarily fall into his face. And at this point, he is in so much pain that he convulses, the whole world shakes, creating earthquakes. The story says that Loki is going to remain there in this tortured position until Ragnarok. You know, you'd think Sigyn could move the snake somehow, you know make the situation better yet, right? What, it, what is it to be married to Loki? Your fate is to sit there and always hold a bowl to catch the poison, uh, sparing him from his own consequences, <laughs> the situation he set up, right? That's, that's what it would be to be married to Loki, I think. That he remains here until Ragnarok. And, you know, my mind just goes to how does he get free? But we probably should just leave people hanging over the winter break <laughs> and then come back to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a few episodes on Ragnarok to do. I think that's going to start season three in uh, mid-January. I don't know. What do you think, Devin? No, I think so. Yeah, that we'll have. Uh, I'm going to do a, a little uh, another holiday kind of season short episode, and then we'll have our fireside chat and some things. So, what are your what are your thoughts, Sean? I always like to get your take of what does this mean? What is it all? I don't know. I mean, like I know I've I've talked many times about how like Loki is a piece of shit, but at the beginning he's not that much of a piece of shit, and the gods themselves are worse than he is. Like if you look at Loki and he cuts off Sif's hair. Thor gets pissed off and the Aesir and Thor threaten Loki to say, fix this problem. Loki fixes the problem. And then the gods get these gifts, like these divine gifts. Sif gets golden hair. Thor gets Mjolnir. Odin gets, he gets his spear. It's, it's like this like situation where everybody wins. And it's like Loki started this by just doing a prank, but the gods still look at Loki with ill favor. As we know in like Locusena, if what Loki says is accurate, the gods and the goddesses like they have no right to be morality police, if that makes sense. Yeah. They they do their own things and they like give in to their inhibitions, which I think humans do, right? Like we all have our inclinations to maybe not be these moral people and say, like, well, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink two bottles of wine tonight, or I'm gonna go and watch a naughty movie or something like that. And it's like we all like have these like urges to do what we want to do. And I feel like Loki represents that, but the gods are going against him because it's not the status quo, if that makes sense. And they take it out on him and then he comes back worse. He comes back like sin- more sinister. He ruins the gods' lives, if that makes sense. Past week, and I was talking about how so many mythologies, right? The gods, there's all this violence and sleeping around and incest and all these things that are just go against human morals. But so often the pantheons of gods have those qualities. One thing is to say it's like it's playing with dangerous magic, right? This it, it, a couple of things you said in there, right? That you, you you can do these things, right? You can get away with it for a little bit, but mostly you're probably not actually going to get away with it, right? And the gods kind of do, but kind of don't. They sort of get caught, right? Uh, yeah, have consequences of it. I'm actually, you know, thinking of uh, 
how we entered, we put in a little bit of uh, episodes on Freyr there. And I was comparing Freyr with the, the Fisher King, right? And there's mm-hmm. one in that where, why is the Fisher King have an arrow going through his leg and maybe going through his testicles as well? That there was a knight who was cooking a salmon on a spit and he decided he was going to steal a little piece of salmon from this and he didn't deserve it, right? It, it didn't belong to him. And then as soon as he tastes it, that's when he burns his finger on the salmon and then he puts his finger in his mouth and for him to taste it and then he's punished. And it's idea that you know something about the salmon and the water is this idea of something like deeper wisdom, but you're not ready for it. So that Loki's turning into this this slippery wisdom. He's, he's trying to get away from everybody. They're trying to catch him, right? And what it is, what it is they're going to gain if they do catch him is you know kind of hard to say. Another way to say it is there's a book called the the Origins and History of Consciousness, and it's by one of Jung's students, uh, Eric Neumann. And he explains how every mythology, when you look at all the world mythologies together, they're explaining how human beings came to be conscious, right? And all of a sudden you're, you're aware of yourself. And how do you come to terms with that? You write mythology. That's all anyone's ever been doing for, for all of history, going back to Egyptians and you know, Africa and you know, the earliest human beings. We're trying to come up with stories to make sense of why am I here? Why am I aware of myself? And this one, to me, it's very very much tells that story, right? It's Loki sitting there <laughs> ruminating. They're going to catch me. He's paranoid. He's got four doors in his house, right? It's, you know, it's not really a house. He can see in every direction because he's paranoid and he's coming up with the the means of his own destruction. He's making nets and he's, he's too smart for his own good. And then he goes into the water, right? He turns into a fish, goes into the water, seeking the unconscious. Remember a while back, I told the story of Water Jar Boy. And there's one part where he needs to find his father and he dives into the well goes into the deep water, right? Something there, right? And that Loki would keep running away. He'd stay in the unconscious for a while, except Thor drags him out, that the warrior has to drag him out to face reality and deal with the world. And then there's this part of the the feminine and the snake that are torturing him, yet now he's becoming more conscious, right? He went to the unconscious, but now he comes back and he's really becoming aware, right? And it's actually the Gnostic Christians you know, in the regular Christianity, right, there's a you know, conventional, what you'd read for a Catholic or Protestants, that the snake is the tempter, the tempter, right? It's Satan tricking you into, ah, you could have had a peaceful, beautiful life, but now you ate the apple and you're aware of yourself. But the Gnostic Christians said that actually it's God is the jealous God, that he's too insecure of human beings gaining this awareness. So he didn't want to let them have it. And that the snake's the good guy. The snake's the good guy who's like, hey, you guys don't have to be slaves and, you know, or probably shouldn't even say that word, but anyways, you guys don't have to be yeah. prisoners and captives of your own mind. You can be aware of yourself. And then it gives you that gift. And then there's something about the, the woman has to be involved. The feminine has to be involved in getting this greater wisdom, right? That's where the modern Christians would blame Eve being like, ah, and she's the woman she's on, you know, on the side of Satan to tempt the man. Right. But actually what if she just gave him the wonderful gift of consciousness, right? Um, yeah. To be aware of himself, to be aware that he's naked and, and someone can see that, right. And all of this. And then where does it leave Loki? that we know Ragnarok is something like rebirth, right? That you need to find the unconscious and then become more conscious than you could have before. And there'll be some kind of rebirth, right? So to me, it really tells the story of what happens with people. I think Loki has always represented some type of, I guess if you look at Christianity, I think like if you take a person like Loki or a God like Loki, he represents what the snake is in Christianity. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just take the apple. You want to eat the apple? Let's take it. And I like if you look at Loki as like somebody that's like showing humanity their fate, which let's say like the god of Christianity says, well, your their fate is to fuck up and get and banished that's, that's from the Garden of Eden. You were going to right? do it anyways, right? You were going to eat the apple anyways, but Loki talks you into doing it, and now it's your choice. So it seems like it was your free choice. Yet as we were saying, you're gonna you were going to do it anyways. It's interesting, right? Yeah, but I, I feel like like the one thing I love about Norse mythology is I feel like Loki is always there to like orchestrate what he knows needs to happen. And like I know you say he's an agent of fate, like, and I, I've brought up the fact that he might be an agent of chaos. I like to think that Loki understands that the next step is that he needs to be tortured for the rest of his existence until Ragnarok. He, of course, like maybe is having second doubts and he hides himself just like odin is trying to prevent um ragnarok but like when he gets captured it's like kind of fitting that there's a snake above him poisoning him and his wife is trying to protect him but like he knows that he's there until ragnarok and his uh 
two sons are being like also brutally killed in front of him, but he knows his other children, Hel, um, Jormungandr and Fenrir are going to avenge him. And yeah. so it's like this weird thing where I feel like the gods, in, including Loki, they all know what's going to happen. What they try to do to prevent it from happening makes it happen. And I know I mentioned this earlier, but like they're kind of just there because they, the yeah. gods are kind of there because they want to punish Loki because they know he's going to bring on their deaths. Loki knows that he's going to bring on their deaths and he knows he's, he's going to get punished, but it's kind of this whole thing that just unravels the way everybody knows it's supposed to, if that makes sense. I didn't even, just as you're saying, this is why I really enjoy us doing this together, right? You're talking about emphasizing that part of his son's dying. And that's Cain and Abel, the brother that kills the brother, right? That's that he's maybe even allowing and sacrificing his son, right? Abraham and Isaac, right? That he has to sacrifice his son. That that's the thing that's necessary. Although, you know, in, in Christian, it's like, okay, I'm ready to kill my son. And then it's like, no, nah, just kidding, right? Norse mythology, of course, it has to happen. They have to be torn, disemboweled, yeah. tied up in guts. Yet if you sacrifice, if you're willing to sacrifice the son, then you get to have the two powerful children, right? Like you're saying, Fenrir and Jormungandr, right? These sort of like, you don't get to have that unless you're willing to sacrifice. It's a weird thing there. And also, as you're saying, he's an agent of chaos. And, and what it, is it when all this you know chaotic power and you bind it up, right? You, you repress it. You let it build up and build up. Something's going to explode, <laughs> Right. That's yeah. not, that's not sustainable. That's not, you know, going to work long-term. Oh, and as you're saying, is he an agent of fate, an agent of chaos, right? That, and it can be a little bit of both, right? That when you say there's a predetermined fate, people might think it's like a straight line, right? Here's exactly what's going to happen. We knew it, but it's that it's a web. I was actually recently reading about the idea of Orlog, the Nordic con- conception of fate, right? That it's a web that is weaved and all these pieces together and they're set, right? They're predetermined. It is very chaotic. It's very complicated. And that sometimes the web maybe does change a little bit. It's not completely predetermined. Things will change it sometimes. So that is, you know, this, you need to make sense of this chaos rather than locking this chaos away. That was actually how I, and I didn't know why I ended it that way, but my last uh, little short on the, uh, the shadow was talking about, you need to notice what the shadow is up to. You don't need to pretend it's not there and lock it up in a closet, right? You don't need to bind it with rocks and guts or something worse is going to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy this. Yeah. I, I like actually that we're leaving it on a cliffhanger now. It is not a satisfying ending, right? But I, It's very fitting, right? Like Loki is being tortured for everything that he's done. But <laughs> for the most part, everything that he did before the gods like were actually going after him were, was like kind of like these little pranks, right? That's just Loki being Loki. And of course, like he, if like Loki's being Loki, the gods are going to be pissed off at them because that's the gods being the gods. But Something happened to the point where, like, they knew Ragnarok was coming, probably probably because of Odin, because Odin found out that Ragnarok was going to happen. Like, whether it was um, him cutting off his eye and getting wisdom from that from Mimir's well, or him hanging himself on the tree Yggdrasil to like understand the runes and understand like what may be his future. Like, I feel like it would all be okay, but when Odin made that realization, he told the rest of the gods and. The gods knew that Loki was going to spawn their Ragnarok and spawn their deaths. And so you would look at like Loki just being a prankster, but like the gods manifesting their idea of Loki turned in, turned Loki into Loki and Loki does bring on their deaths, which we're going to discuss in January. Like we're going to get into our series on Ragnarok in January. But for right now, I think this is like a really fun place to end uh, season two. Nope, I think I think so, and I'm trying to think of anything else we should uh, leave people with. But we'll we'll have a few little short episodes, uh, a little bit more through the holiday, and then the fireside chat. Keep an eye on our Twitter is probably where I'll announce it, and uh, maybe I'll make sure we have a short episode where I announce it if I find out sooner that we'll have a date uh, for that. And it's going yeah. to be through the Walled Garden, so you can also look at their event page, and it'll it'll show up there at some point. I can't wait! I can't wait! I'm going to be humiliated the entire time, but. I feel like that's entertainment for other people. So we just got to find a good myth or there was some, you know, as you were doing all the, uh, the shorts on the, the sagas, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah. I would like to talk with you more about it at some point, but yeah, like I really liked the part where it's uh, really describing them and then encountering the native Americans and these battles. I'm like, Oh, that's, I don't know why I'm so interested in yeah how that happened and what happened there. And uh, just the stories of how hard it was to survive in the Americas, whether it was Vikings or French explorers or uh, whoever. That it was yeah. a very dangerous, chaotic world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, Sean, 
we'll uh, talk soon. Thank you, Sean. You have a great night. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, uh, David. Thank you, everybody, for listening to season two. I know David has like some ideas for a one-off series over the next couple of weeks as we approach the holidays. I know I have a poem that I may want to, uh, I may want to do voice acting for on air. But worst case scenario, we'll see everybody at the fireside chat in early January, and then we're going to start season three in uh, mid-January. All right. Good night. Cool. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more. In einem Becklein helle das Schoss in froher Eil, die launische Forelle, worüber wie im Pfeil. Ich stand an dem Gerstade und sah in Suseru, des muntern Fischleins Bade im klaren Becklein zu. Des muntern Fischleins Bade im klaren Becklein zu. Ein Fischer mit der Rute wohl an dem Ufer stand und saß mit kaltem Blute wie sich dache Fischlein wand. So lang das Wasser helle, so dach ich nicht gebricht, so fang der die Forelle mit seiner Angel nicht. So fang der die Forelle mit seiner Angel nicht. Doch einlich war dem Diebe die Zeit zu lang, er masch das Becklein tückisch trübe und i ist es gedacht, so suchte seine Rute das Fischlein, das Fischlein sappelt dran, und ich mich regem Blute sah die Betronge an, und ich mich regem Blute sah die Betronge an.